Hi, my name is Scott and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a family you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website www.RestoredTemecula.Church and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. I love you guys. Alright, just really quick poll in the room. Um, who's rooting for the Chiefs? No, I said who... Hold on, I said, I said, who's, I just want to get a gauge. Who's rooting for, just hands, just hands in the air if you're rooting for the Chiefs. Like if you're going to be bummed if they lose. All right, like maybe 10% of the room. All right, uh, Niners. Okay, a little more Niner fans. Don't give a rip at all. Okay. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody else is like, they're like, I can't go to gathering today. I just need to like sit and pray for my team, I guess. It's fine. No, we have the fourth and fifth grade camp. There's a lot of families up there. I'm super excited to hear. I've already kind of heard a couple different reports of just encouraging things. I'm so thrilled to see, uh, or to hear, I should say, what God's been doing with our fourth and fifth graders up there. This morning, we're going to keep going through our series. Forgive me, my voice is a little tired today. We're going to keep going through our series, going through Matthew, the King and His Kingdom. We are trying to learn as much as we can about the Kingdom of God. Um, If you're anything like me, I've been pursuing my kingdom for as long as I can remember. And honestly, there are a handful of moments where it feels amazing, but most of the time, it feels like a letdown. Um, we weren't created to be the king of our own kingdom. We were created to enjoy the privileges of the kingdom of God in, in, in sonship to the king. Sonship is not just a gender thing. It's an, it, it speaks more to being an heir. We have an inheritance, this glorious kingdom. When I say kingdom, I'm talking about the rule and the reign of God. What does it look like when, when God gets his way? So we've been going through Matthew Um, for a long time now, trying to learn as much as we can about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Those two things are synonymous. And where we are currently, just to give you some review, we are going to jump back into Matthew chapter 10. And Matthew chapter 10 is, is one of these amazing chapters in scripture. And what I, the reason why I say it's so amazing is because the vast majority, majority of it, if you open your Bible, chances are the letters are going to be in red. And when you see the letters in red, it's, it's the words of Jesus. And so whenever you have these longer chapters that are filled with the words of Jesus, like, is there anything more precious than that? Like, if, you, if, you, if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if, if you worship him, if he's, your, if he's your savior and your Lord, like, can you think of anything more valuable in life than, like, the words of Jesus himself recorded for us? They're not written to us, but they certainly are for us. And so that's, Matthew chapter 10 is one of those chapters. And, and kind of diving a little bit deeper, Matthew chapter 10 is all about Jesus sending his disciples, his followers, out on his mission for them and their lives. And we've been talking about how the mission of God is, is to overthrow the kingdom of darkness, uh, I talked about how like, I've lived for my kingdom for so much of my life. That's the kingdom of darkness. How do I know? Because it's in opposition to God being the king. 
instead of me being the king, right? And I'm not the only one. But God's mission to overthrow the kingdom of darkness, that's why the church is dedicated to making disciples, because God's dedicated to the mission of overthrowing the kingdom of darkness in my heart and in the heart of every human being. And the way he does that is through rescuing them and teaching them what it looks like to live the abundant, faithful life, not not faithful, the abundant, full life that God created them to live. That's, That's what is on the other side of your discipleship, not just here, but forever, you know, partly in the present, fully in the future. Um, here's what I'm going to do. For the sake of time, will you just grab your Bibles? I got a lot of stuff I want to get through this morning, and I really feel like God has something special for us. So Matthew chapter 10, put your finger on verse 26. We're going to start there. But, as, but before we do, I, I want to pray. I want to invite the Spirit to teach us, to guide us, to open the eyes of our hearts and our minds to receive everything that he has for us in his word, not mine. And so let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we we invite you. We desire you. And at the very least, we desire to desire you. Some of us in the room, that's you. Spirit, thank you. Thank you that you're so committed to us. You want to show us what reality is, both in us and around us, and you want to free us. Um, There's already a theme this morning of your desire to free us. From what? I pray that you'd show us this morning. You'd teach us. Help us to see Jesus more clearly. He's so worthy of following. He's so worthy of our worship and our praise, our attention, our devotion. So would you help us to see Jesus more clearly? I know you love to do that, Holy Spirit. Hmm. Father, we love you. We cast off distractions now. We look up, we fix our eyes on you. Show us, teach us. We wanna yield to you this morning. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus, together. Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 26. I'm going to read through verse 31. Again, words of Jesus. He's sending out his disciples for mission. He says this, Therefore, do not be afraid of them. The them there is anybody who would be in opposition to them fulfilling God's mission for their life. Okay? Many of you experience a lot of opposition to you stepping into and walking in God's mission for your life to overthrow the kingdom of darkness, okay? So this is who Jesus is referencing. Therefore, don't be afraid of them, since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, Fear him who is able to destroy both body, I'm sorry, both soul and body in hell. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. 
Okay, so what I want to do is I want to highlight four kind of takeaways from this passage. So if you're taking notes, here's your first thing. The first thing is this, the truth will be revealed. The truth will be revealed. Look back at verse 26. Jesus says, there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. Has anybody ever been to that, uh, that grocery store? It's in Marietta called Amazon Fresh. Raise your hand if you've actually been inside the store. Okay, raise if you, if you, if you haven't been in this, inside the store, but you kind of know how it operates. Raise your hand if you have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay, okay, so here's the deal. There's this grocery store. It's an Amazon Fresh grocery store. It's, it's up the road in Marietta. And the way it works is you walk in, You have like your app on your phone, you scan your app, and then the little like mini gate thing, like if you're going to go on a ride or something, it opens and it lets you inside the store. And then you go around the store and you do your shopping, you put everything in your cart, and then you leave. And the way you leave is you just scan your app again and you you leave. And what happens is is all of the things that you purchase, whether you take it off the shelf, look at it, and put it back or not, everything that's in your cart when you leave, you get charged for. And the way that they're able to do it, it's kind of freaky, actually. <laughs> the way that they do this is that there's, there's like this supercomputer up in the ceiling. There's all these cameras looking at every single possible angle and, ident- and just kind of analyzing what you do in the store. And then depending on what you do in the store, it, it sends you a receipt. Like, I've been there a few times, and every time I get in my car, I get this like, notification, here's your receipt from what you just did. The cameras, they see everything. It's wild. I went there the other day because we, um, we ordered something from Amazon that was shipped to the house, and it was messed up or whatever, so I had to return it. So I, I could do it there quickly. So I go in, I scan, I return it, I scan out. I still got an email notification that said, thanks for visiting, even though you didn't purchase anything. Like those cameras, they see absolutely everything. And they even like, they even report to you what they've seen you do. And then they charge you accordingly. The cameras see everything. How much more does God see everything? Like not just our actions, our thoughts. He sees it all. The good, the bad, everything in between. Every single time a person, a customer goes into Amazon Fresh and then leaves Amazon Fresh, the truth about their visit is revealed to them. Here's your receipt, right? Even when you don't buy anything. What Jesus is telling us is that the truth about you, it will be revealed. There's nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. This week I got, I just kind of got a little angry uh, I had this mixture of like anger and sadness, frustration, and the reason for it is because another prominent church leader uh, fell morally in a spectacular way, and it's damaging to people, it's damaging to the witness of Christ. It just does so much damage. And maybe you know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to say his name, but part of a, like a very, very influential ministry over the last several decades, um, and it's kind of come out that multiple women have come forward, and there's been like significant sexual sin in this guy's life. 
And I knew about that. It, it bothered me, but a new report came out this week that was involving a 14-year-old girl in abuse. And like, there's a cluster of, of, of emotions attached to that for me as someone who vocationally, I'm, I'm a pastor, right? Like, but just the like anger of like, but I thought about it, and I'm like, I mean, some of these things were decades ago, some of them a little bit more recently. It, it took a while, but the truth came out. It, like, it's still coming out. There's nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known, even for the leaders in the church. Can I just ask you a question, friend? Like in love, do you have anything to hide? Some of you, I just ruined your day. <laughs> You're like, I was just wanted to watch the Super Bowl, bro. Like, can we just have like a, a nice suburban Christian, you know, like church service gathering, whatever you want to call it? Like, I, listen, I love you too much to lie to you. Like, if you don't expose the truth, God will. And it might take years. In, in the, the guy's case that I just referenced, it took decades for some of it. It might take years, but the truth will be revealed. Can I just exhort you? Like in love, don't wait for God to expose it. That's, I mean, he literally commands, confess your sins and repent and receive his mercy. Like, do you have any idea? Like, God is so rich in mercy. Run to his mercy, man. Come and get it. It's available to you. But there comes a day when if you don't expose it, he will, and there'll be judgment attached to that. And hear me, every single one of us in this room needs the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness of Jesus. All of us are pretty, we're, we're experts at doing things our way instead of doing things his way. We get really, really good at of living with shame and keeping things hidden and I'm telling you right now, some, some people have been saying it already this morning. There's freedom for people this morning. Some of you, you just need to confess. Get it out. Run to mercy. Receive it. He's rich in mercy. You know what it means that he's rich in mercy? He's the Elon Musk times a billion of mercy. He could give it out. It's, it's a never-ending, unending ocean of mercy for you and forgiveness. Run to his mercy. The day is coming when the truth will be revealed. Jesus, he's telling the Christian in this passage, he's telling the person who says yes to God's mission, it's a Christian, right? He's saying, don't be afraid of any and all of the opposition. The reason is because the truth will be revealed. What's he mean by that? He's, he's drawing their attention to like, each person's gonna be judged accordingly, right? There's either going to be reward, I don't know if you know this, but there's actually rewards for you for following Jesus, you don't earn it, but there's rewards that, that, that any, any good father wants to give his child, right? There's either rewards or there's wrath. And Jesus is drawing their attention to, to faithful disciples of Jesus, not perfect disciples of Jesus, faithful to confess and repent, turn from sin, disciples of Jesus. He's saying, as you say yes to God's mission for your life, you're gonna experience opposition, but don't be afraid because the truth is gonna be revealed. The truth is gonna be revealed and each person is gonna be judged accordingly. And here's the thing. It's not just sin that he's getting at here with this. You know what else is gonna be revealed? 
The, godly, the godliness, too, the good stuff, the beauty, the worship, the righteousness that you engage in is going to be revealed. Some of you are going to be vindicated. The truth about you will be revealed. And I guess the question is, is what's it going to look like? Will it be like love? Right? Even if somebody misunderstood you and all the things, you're like, actually what gets revealed is that they were actually really loving me. Will it be love? Will it be goodness? Will it be faithfulness? Will it be integrity and humility? Or will it be something else? Sooner or later, the truth will be revealed. That's how Jesus starts. Do you, do you believe this? What Jesus is saying here is that it will either produce courage, right? What he's, what he's getting at here, the truth will be revealed. It's either gonna produce courage in a person to endure the hardship of obeying God because the truth is gonna be revealed. The person who's, who's, who's faithful, not perfect, but faithful in trying to live out the mission for, of God for their life, it's gonna, it's gonna produce courage in them because the truth is gonna be revealed. Or for some others, it's gonna produce terror, fear, we're going to get to fear here in just a minute. But my first point, the truth will be revealed. Let's go to the next thing. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Okay, what's Jesus getting at here? When I was, when I was 18, um, I was like really new to Christianity on pretty much every level been attending church with my family for a little while, but like just, it wasn't, you know how like you can hear something, but it doesn't actually like break through? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like I was in that phase of life and, um, and one of the pastors at the church I was at, um, he was leading worship and he, he cornered me one day and he said this to me and I'll never forget it. He said, he goes, Tom, he goes, you're a worship leader. He goes, you're, you're called to this. And I remember when he said that, nothing inside of me liked what he had to say. <laughs> I, I remember thinking like, bro, you're out of your mind. Like this is not, I don't see this in myself. I didn't believe him. I didn't see it in me. I didn't want to do that. When I say worship leader, I mean like, on a stage, with a microphone, with an instrument, leading the congregation in praise and worship. And nothing inside of me wanted to do that. I loved music, but I don't want that. I don't want the responsibility. I don't want the attention. I don't want that. And I remember, even though the desire for me to not be uncomfortable and to not do what I don't want to do. I remember that desire in me was really strong, but I remember there was maybe 1% greater desire to, if God is saying this, I want to say yes to him, even though I don't know what that looks like and I don't feel qualified on any level. So I just, I reluctantly start doing it. And I remember the first, <laughs> I remember the first time I ever like let out on a song, like not even like the guy who's like, like kind of running the thing, but I mean like, I'm just gonna get my feet wet by leading out in a song. And guys, I practiced this song forever. And I was, in, I, was in a, I was in an environment, just to be candid, where it was way more of a production than it was praise. 
right? So I'm trying to like perfectly execute everything. And I knew this song, like I knew it backwards and forwards, okay? Every element, and I get up there and then everything, just so you know, all bets are off when eyeballs are on you. So give people grace when they come up here to share or whatever. Everything's cool until, like what does Mike Tyson say? Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> Everybody's cool. You, you know your stuff. And then when you get eyeballs on you, you're like, oh. So, <laughs> so I lead out on this song that I know really well. And we get to the second verse. And as it is in the kind of environment, type of environment I was in, um, there's a TV in the back of the room that shows the, the slides that the, that the congregation is looking at. And the TV goes blue. And it's just enough for me to go like, oh wait, I'm like in the, I'm in the, to turn around musically, like it's about to drop into the second verse. And I know this verse. Drop in the second verse, and the, fir- the verse, gone. In the clock, I mean, I have like five seconds until it's gonna get into the verse. Everybody's looking at me. You guys might have been in the room. Um, <clears throat> and I get down, like literally downbeat into the verse and I step up to the mic and I go, uh... <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. That's literally what came out of my mouth instead of the lyrics to the song. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. And I was afraid, like there's all these people. I don't want to screw up. I don't want to look bad. I don't want to, I don't want to be uncomfortable. All of these things. I remember being like, I walked out. I remember that evening being like, that really sucked. This is why I didn't want to do this. You know, all the things that you, you say to yourself. And then I remember what that pastor said to me. Tommy, you, you are a worship leader. You're called to this. And he was right. He was right. I didn't see it at the time. I didn't want to. But then I spent the next decade leading worship full-time vocationally. It wasn't something I tried to make happen. It was where the Father was leading me. And it was... That remarkable season. Like God developed me in some massive ways. He used me in massive ways that like, frankly, I never would have even imagined. I didn't dream it up. It wasn't my thing. You know, you could describe discipleship as the process of God introducing you to who you really are. <laughs> Say it again. Discipleship, you could, you could describe it as the process of God introducing you to who you really are. Do you know who you really are? Or are you still stuck in, I don't want to, I'm afraid. I don't, I don't see that, I don't like that. That's your kingdom. Do you know who you are? Do you know who God has made you to be? Listen to me. If you're a Christian, you're a missionary, right? We talked about this, but there's more to it. There's some specifics here that we have to see. Again, look back at verse 27. Can you guys throw that up there for me? Verse 27. You guys find it? Okay. Jesus says, what I tell you in the dark, what? 
speak in the light, what you hear in a whisper, what? Proclaim on the housetops. Speak and proclaim. That word proclaim, it's the Greek word that literally is preach. Earlier in this very chapter and throughout the Bible, the same word gets translated preach. Here's my, my next point. If you're a Christian, you are a preacher. You're called to this. In the same way that pastor pulled me aside, I want to lovingly address everybody in the room, regardless of your age or stage of life, regardless of how long you've been investigating or following or worshiping Jesus. If you are a Christian, you are a preacher. You're called to this. Friend, you might be like I was 18, right? You might not see it in yourself. You might think of all the reasons why, no, you shouldn't, or you're not qualified, or all the things, right? You might not want to. You might think that I'm out of my mind, and now you're tuning me out, and you just want to watch the Super Bowl. But listen to me. If you're a Christian, you are a preacher. You're called to this. So that begs the question, then what are you called to preach? You're called to open your mouth and proclaim, but what are you called to preach? What we see here is you and I were called to preach Jesus's words. Read it again, verse 27. What Jesus says, what I tell you in the dark, in secret, right? You and him, y'all and him. What I tell you in the dark and in the secret, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, intimacy. God whispers so you come closer. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim, preach on the housetops, okay? Hear me. God desires to speak to you, friend. He desires to share things with you. He desires to reveal truth to you. He desires to provide you with wisdom and insight, even supernatural knowledge. But do you know what that requires? It requires that you spend time and energy listening. You see this. William Barclay, really helpful theologian, he says this. I think I have a quote for it up there. He says this, quote, no one can speak for Christ who has not heard Christ speak. No one can proclaim the truth who has not listened to the truth. For we cannot pass on that which we do not know. End quote. In other words, how on earth can a person preach Jesus' words if they aren't listening for his words? Ooh, how dangerous to preach, claiming that they're Jesus' words when they're not. There's plenty of those. To preach, it means to proclaim truth. You can preach behind a pulpit. That's fine, it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. Some of you are probably called to do this. But it, it transcends the pulpit, right? God's call, if you're, if you're a Christian, you are a preacher. You're called to this. You're called to preach to your household. You're called to preach to your family. You're called to preach to your gospel community. You're called to preach to your friends. You're called to preach to your neighbors. Sometimes you're even called to preach to strangers. And hear me, here's the best part. Jesus will give you the words to say. He says it here. That he'll give you the words to say. They're his words, but it requires that you listen to him first. 
If you're a Christian, you're a preacher. You're called to preach Jesus' words. Can I just ask you? It requires that you listen, right? Can I just ask you, what's your prayer life like? No condemnation. Just check the pulse, man. What's your prayer life like? What's your personal, devotional prayer life like? What's your corporate, that means more than just you, prayer life like? Can I just ask you, you know, you're going to get tired of me saying this, but I'm not going to stop. Are you making time for the prayer room? If there's not a set a session that works for you, let's figure out one that does. Let's make one that does. Are you making time for the prayer, for the prayer room? And listen, I know I've spoken to many of you, and, 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 the, and the response for some is like, it's legitimate. And I want to be very like compassionate here, because there's a lot of weight. You got, many of you guys carry a lot of leadership weight. Outside of your home, inside of your home, you guys are like, you guys are amazing people, devoted people. It's beautiful. But there's just like, I don't have the margin in my schedule, Tom. Can I just implore you to not be held hostage by your schedule? Charles Spurgeon, arguably the greatest preacher of all time other than Jesus, this is what he says, quote, listen to this, please. He who rushes from his bed to his business without first spending time with God is as foolish as though he had not washed or dressed and as unwise as one dashing to battle without arms or armor. Please don't misunderstand me. I know margin can be super thin. You got young kids, responsibilities at work, I get it. Commuting, all the things. I know margin can be thin, but if you're a Christian, you are a preacher called to preach Jesus' words, and that requires that you listen to him first, both individually and corporately. It's important. And just can I, can I pastorally, as someone who like knows the vast majority of the room, like, can I just, I don't know, come at you a little bit with some encouragement? Like, don't let the life that God has called you to live be stolen from you by busyness. Like, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy, man. I'm, I'm the world's leading example of this. He will rob you of the life that God, is, that God like has for you. I don't want that for anybody in the room. I sure as heck don't want it for me. Like, can I, can I just lovingly tell you, do not settle for anything less than God's plans and purposes for your life. Please. All right, next point. Uh, look at verse 28. Ooh, this one's big. Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We're gonna pause here for just a minute because that is a weighty verse. Okay, that's an intense verse. What Jesus is doing here is he's touching on and describing a little bit about the wrath of God. Um, this can tend to make people feel uncomfortable, which I think is kind of the point. But some people, when they hear about God being described this way, they react by trying to eliminate parts of who he is and grabbing a hold of the stuff that they like. So an example of that is like, I don't worship, I worship a God, I worship the God of love. We're all, we can all get behind that. 
as people who are imperfect, who fall short, who blow it on a regular basis, whew, the God of love, I'm, yes, please. The God of wrath, I don't want to talk about him. I don't want to acknowledge him. I want to get as far away from that as I possibly can. In love, like, have you read the Bible, man? Let me give you, let me give you, some, uh, let me give you some Nahum. We don't really go through Nahum very often, but let me give you some Nahum. Old Testament prophet says this. The Lord is jealous, I'm sorry, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is fierce in wrath. The Lord takes vengeance against who? Against his foes, those who, are in, who oppose his ways. So often me. He's furious with his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, thank God, but great in power. The Lord will never leave the guilty unpunished. All right, cool, Tom. That's Old Covenant, though, bro. That's Old Testament. Okay, let's, let me give you some Paul. Let me give you some Paul in the New Testament. Romans chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. Paul says this. Do you think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet does the same? He's, he's talking about hypocrisy. Anybody guilty of hypocrisy in the room besides me? A lot of us, right? That's who he's talking to. Do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance, turning away from sin? Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed, he will repay each one according to his works. Eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. There will be affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, the non-Jew. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for there is no favoritism with God. Quick side note, that last verse, there's no favoritism with God. I've heard a phrase fly around um, a handful of times of just like, I'm God's favorite. Or you're God's favorite. Can I just ask you, please don't ever say that. If you have, no judgment, just repent, stop. Please don't say that. Here's why. Because it's not true. There's no favoritism with God. Now listen, the entire Bible makes it clear, Old Testament and New Testament, God's wrath is real, friends. God's wrath is real because God's love is real. Okay? Uh, <laughs> I love my wife. One of the things I love about her is her ferocity, her, uh, her love. Listen, if you attempt to harm her daughters, you will receive her wrath. It's not an ungodly thing. It's actually a beautiful thing. And hear me, she's not the only mama bear in this room. I look around and see so many of you, okay? The same is true for any parent in the room. 
If you, if you try to harm their loved ones, you're going to experience a certain level of wrath with that. Hear me, it's not just true of every mom in the room, every parent in the room, every aunt and uncle in the room. The same is true for God, right? He's a heavenly father. And remember, he sees everything. His wrath is the byproduct of his passionate love. And I'm telling you, man, both his, his wrath and his love are more intense than we, oft, than we often tend to acknowledge. I think the truth is God's wrath really is something to be feared. Rightfully so. Um, recently, um, the staff and I were in New York City for a, a conference wonderful time, so life-giving. God met us in, in spectacular ways. Other leaders in the church were there as well. It was beautiful. Um, I just, when I winked, that was really lame. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> fear of man's rising up in me hard right now. Uh, but hear me. So we're there. And we spent a couple, me and Ebony stayed a couple more days to celebrate her birthday in the city. And we were, uh, we took the train over to, to Brooklyn. If you've ever been there's this, there's this like, I guess it's kind of famous. There's this street in this, this neighborhood in Brooklyn, which is just over the river from Manhattan, called Dumbo. Dumbo is down under the Manhattan Bridge underpass or overpass. And it, so this, this neighborhood is this kind of cool little hip spot. And there's this one street on Washington Street where if you're, if you're standing on the street and you're looking towards Manhattan, you know, the skyline, you literally see framed by the buildings, the Manhattan Bridge. And it's just this like picturesque thing, you know? And I've been there before, but Ebony had never been to that neighborhood. So I was like, oh, you should come check out Dumbo. We show up, we're walking. And I, I just wanted her to see, not that view. I wanted her to see the, the main view from kind of that area of Brooklyn looking over to Manhattan, the skyline with the Brooklyn Bridge. And to get there, we have to walk past Washington Street, which is, there are hundreds of social media influencers with their cameras and they're doing their film, their shooting, right? Because it's got this kind of picturesque with the, with the uh, you know, the, the bridge in the background. Guys, it was comical, okay? They're trying to get the angle so it looks like they're there by themselves, but there's hundreds of people and they're all social media influencers, so you have like a girl, she's just dressed as best as she can and her boyfriend, you know, like she's like doing the thing and the boyfriend's like, hi, we're here in Dumbo, just like living our best life. And you just have not one, not two, not a few, hundreds of these social media influencers that are getting that shot. And I just looked at Ebony, I was like, I've been here before. Last time I was here, there was like two people taking a photograph and now there's Hundreds. I'm not being hyperbolic. I'm not exaggerating. There were that many people. It felt like a modern day movie shoot, but it was all individual groups of people getting their social media influencer posts to like, here's where I'm in Dumbo. Look at the cool shot. I live a really important, amazing, spectacular life. You should follow me. You should give me influence in your life. Look how awesome my life is. That's really just happening all around us. And I'm just like, Get me out of here. I sh she's, she's like, Eb's like, hey, you should like film this. And I was like, I got to get out of here. I can't even, it was just too much for me. So I did some research. 
this year, $35 billion will be spent in the United States on influencer marketing. That might not sound like a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Okay? I'm not, I'm not slamming it, by the way. It's actually really smart business. But why so much spent on influencer marketing? Because they influence people. They influence people. These influencers, what they tend to do is they tend to tip the scales of your decision-making or else they wouldn't be an influencer. Their influence is like weight on the scale, and what it does is it tips the scale of your decision-making. Friends, hear me. Fear? Fear's the original influencer. Fear's the original influencer. In fact, fear is the most powerful influencer in your life. It tips the scale of your decision-making. Did you know that fear is the greatest influencer on your life? Hear me though, it's not all bad. Like, fear can save your life. So it's not just the bad stuff. It's not, we we tend to think of fear as like, you know, scary movies, movies, horror films, that kind of thing, right? Danger, danger, don't harm me. It's part of fear. But fear's not all bad. It can save your life. It's why you put a seatbelt on in your car. Because fear of what a car crash can do to you. It's why, it's why many people, like, they really care about the food that they eat. They want to eat healthy because there's fear of what garbage food can do to you. Fear can save your life. Jesus, what he does here is he addresses a fear that everybody has. Fear of man. Now, if you're one of those kinds of people that's like, dude, I don't care what people think about me. Like, I don't have fear of man. If that's you, be careful, because that's literally the definition of a psychopath. (laughs) Okay? I'm not making that accusation to anybody in the room. I'm just saying, like, if you really don't have fear of man, please come talk to me. We'd love to get you some help, because you might just murder everyone and not care what anybody thinks, okay? That's that's too far. I take it back. Sorry. Forgive me. (laughs) Forgive me. But do you hear what I'm trying to say? If you don't have fear of man, that's clinically, that's what a psychopath is, right? Fear of man says, what will they think? Fear of God says, what will God think? My point is this. Fearing God is the cure for the fear of man. Fearing God is the cure for fear of man. Because listen, when God has the most influence on your life, when he weighs more on the scale, it affects your decisions, doesn't it? And what it it does is it overpowers the fear of man. That's what cures do. They, They overpower the brokenness. Oswald Chambers says this, quote, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. I think that's really true. So can I just ask you, do you have an honest understanding of what your fears are? Not just like, oh, I got mild arachnophobia, I don't like spiders. Like, I'm not trying to downplay that. But do you have an accurate understanding of what your deep fears are. 
the things that are underneath your phobias. Jesus, he's telling his disciples to redirect their fears away from lesser things and towards God. Why? Because fear is the most powerful influencer in your life. It will tip the scales of your decision making. And I was praying for this message as someone who legitimately has battled fear of man in different seasons of life. And I just felt like God was like, nah, you're not the only one. Like, there's some people here this morning. Like, dude, you're, you're borderline controlled by what other people think or what other people will think. Like, even people you don't really like. <laughs> even people you don't really know. Fearing God is the cure for fear of man. My final point, look at verse 29. This is the best part, by the way. Jesus is so good to us. Listen to this. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. When Jesus says falls to the ground there, what do you think? Death, right? You think death? That's actually not what's being said. It literally is describing landing on the ground. Sometimes I pray in my backyard and there's all these birds that will fly around. They'll come and land in in my grass and try to pick for worms and stuff, you know, and they'll take off and they'll come and land. It's literally just talking about landing. What does that mean? Hear me. God watches over the simple everyday moments of each and every sparrow. The landing. And Jesus says, you are much more valuable than a sparrow. Do you realize what Jesus is saying here? On that same trip to New York, day off, me and Ebony went to MoMA. It's a museum of modern art. And they had one of, the, like one of her favorite paintings on display, Starry Night by Van Gogh. I should have sent a picture of this, but if you've never seen Starry Night, it's a spectacular painting. It's a, it's a priceless work of art, okay? It's one of the most famous paintings in the world. You'd pro- if you saw it, you'd probably recognize it. But it's, it's an it's amazing piece of art. Really influential in her, in her life. So we're, we go and we see this, and it was, it was wonderful, right? And we're like examining it and getting close to it, taking photos with it. And all these people, they're all crowding around looking at this outstanding work of art. And I'm not going to lie. It was, it was amazing to see in person. It's like, Wow. One of the most amazing paintings in the history of the world, right there. Every brushstroke intentional. Right? All these people around it admiring this amazing work of art, and it it hits me in this room. All of these people, myself included, admiring this painting, this priceless painting, it hits me. Each person viewing Starry Night is an 
infinitely greater work of art. Like your maker, he made you with a level of intentionality and purpose that's off the charts, man. And he doesn't make mistakes. Nothing about you is a mistake. Nothing. Like, and Jesus references here, God numbered the hairs on your head when he made you. That level of intentionality, you, man, do you see how valuable you are to him? There's estimates all over the place about what the value of Starry Night is. Hundreds of millions, you know? And every single person coming to view that priceless painting has infinitely more value. It has infinitely more value. How do I know? Because they're an infinitely greater work of art. Their designer designed them so intricately, so uniquely, such that that he numbered the hairs on your head. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's nobody like you in the whole world. Do you believe that? In fact, you're so valuable to God that he put on flesh, didn't he? He left the comforts, the riches of heaven, put on flesh in the person of Jesus to come and rescue you and I from wrath from death, from sin, from the kingdom of darkness, in us, all around us. He didn't just come. He came and lived that perfect, sacrificial life. And Jesus' life, it was filled with like intense suffering. It was filled with intense pain. It was filled with like gnarly betrayal. But he didn't just come, he didn't just come and live sacrificially. He came and willingly laid down his life. He said, No one takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down. And in the most brutal of ways, the cross, crucifixion, right? My final point for you the same God that's worthy of your fear supremely values you. Do you believe that? And here's the thing, your value in him is, or his value in you, your value to him, I should say, it's not conditional. (laughs) It's not conditional at all. I've trained my daughters in some very specific ways, and I'll ask them questions, and they're like, does daddy love you because you're smart? And they know the answer to that is no, although they are. Does daddy love you because you're beautiful? Although they are, no. They know the answer to that, no. Does daddy love you because you're kind? No. Does daddy love you because you obey? No. Does daddy love you because you love daddy? No. Why does daddy love you? Did you hear that? Say it loud and proud, baby. I love her because she's my daughter. It's not conditional. And I need her to know that that kind of love exists and that kind of love originates from our Heavenly Father. 
His value for us is not based on what we do or don't do. He loves you because he loves you. Because he made you with intentionality and purpose. And nothing can separate you from that love unless you opt out. Daddy loves you because your dad because your daddy's daughter. Daddy loves you because your daddy's son. His love for you is not conditional. All right. I'm going to close with this. Band, will you come up? <sighs> Super Bowl. <laughs> Yay. Thanks, Tom. Um, so here's, here's some of the things that I feel like God's on about. Um, I think it is freedom. I think there's a theme this morning of freedom. I think for some of us, God wants us to recognize some influences, some influencers, if you will, even, in our lives that are misleading us. That they're actually influencing us in ways that are contrary to the ways that God would want to influence us, okay? And if that's you, like, you're in in a space where you're missing out on God's mission for your life. And I really believe that today is an opportunity to, to redirect your fears away from lesser things. I already mentioned it, but I think there's some of us like you're battling fear of man. What will they think? What do they think? And, and maybe, maybe you're battling fear of man and maybe like you actually aren't even aware of how deep it runs in you. How bad it is. We're like... Maybe it's been a minute, you know, just life. Dude, doesn't life just jack us up sometimes? We get caught in the swirl and it becomes like, I just feel disoriented, man. Like, I don't feel safe. I don't feel secure. I don't feel hope. I don't feel all that. Life has a way of just robbing us. And the next thing you know, God has moved several kind of spots down the list of the things that influence us. And the reason that happens is because we don't, we don't see him as clearly as we once did. I think that's one of the reasons why the fear of man thing is so real for all of us. Because it's so ever-present. We're, we're around people a lot, aren't we? There's a story that God kept bringing to mind as I was, as I was prepping this message this week that just kind of fires me up and it's an example of somebody triumphing over the fear of man in the scriptures. Do you remember the story of blind Bartimaeus? It's this awesome story where Jesus is rolling through a town and by this point, he's, he's picking up steam. Like his ministry, is beca- he's becoming famous. Okay, people from all around are like, the miracle worker, the, maybe the Messiah, he's in, all these people are around, right? And there's this blind guy, Bartimaeus, and he hears the hubbub. He's like, what's going on? And he finds that like Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth is, is nearby. And do you remember what he does? Okay, keep in mind, this man does not have physical sight. He just hears that Jesus is nearby. And so he just starts shouting, son of David, have mercy on me. 
son of David, have mercy on me. He doesn't know where he is. He's just, I don't know where, he's nearby. Ah, and he just, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And the people started like, dude, shut up, man. Like, you're going to annoy Jesus. He's here. I don't want him to like get irritated and leave or something. Even Jesus' disciples are like, bro, chill. Like, whoosh. And you know what? You know what Bartimaeus does? He just gets louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. To the point where he gets Jesus' attention. Whew, that's a message on prayer. Sorry. Um, he gets Jesus' attention. And Jesus goes, hey, bring him over here. So the same people that were like shunning and telling Bartimaeus to shut up are like, hey, he wants to see you. Go see Jesus. You know? So he goes and sees Jesus. this profound encounter with Jesus where Jesus publicly recognizes his faith and affirms him and then miraculously restores his sight, his physical sight. Here's the thing that gets me about that story. What gets me is that this physically blind man saw Jesus more clearly than everybody else And he feared Jesus more than everybody else. Jesus had more weight than the people telling him to be quiet. He cared more about what Jesus thought, what God thought, than he cared about what other people thought. And so he did whatever it took. I just, I, I want to get Jesus' attention. And his faith, it, it, it led to something supernatural, spectacular, life-changing. It led to an encounter with the king and his kingdom, didn't it? I think God wants to restore some of our sight this morning, seeing him more clearly. Him having a little bit more weight than even people do. When you do, you're cured of fear of man. And it's something we all battle. And Jesus wants to free us from it. Because the mission of God for each one of us, it will be thwarted by fear of man. But the fear of the Lord, scriptures say it's the beginning of wisdom. You know what that means? The beginning of wisdom? A person can have knowledge, a lot of knowledge. Knowledge leads to opinions. Knowledge without wisdom results in opinions, and that's dangerous. Wisdom is different than knowledge. Wisdom is knowing what to do with the knowledge. And the beginning, the first step to gaining any wisdom is what? Fear the Lord. He weighs more. He tips the scales of my decision-making more than anybody else. I think God wants that for us. I think he wants to free us from the fear of man and all lesser fears to experience the security, the peace, the joy of the king and his kingdom. Will you stand with me if you're able? I wanna pray for us. We're gonna spend the rest of our time responding to the goodness of God. Um, if you're on the ministry team, would you make your way forward? There's trusted men and women who are making themselves available to, to pray for you. So why don't we do this? Um, why don't you just kind of close your eyes with me, not to be overly spiritual, but just to like focus 
on the Lord. Close your eyes with me. Let's pray together. I want to invite the Spirit. I think He wants to minister to many of us. Yeah, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you like you love us enough to tell us the truth and not leave us. You never forsake us. I thank you that the truth will be revealed. I thank you that you include and invite each one of us. You call us to be preachers. And not just of our words, of your words. Thank you that you've provided a cure for the fear that every single one of us face, the fear of man. The cure is fearing you. You you carry more weight than anybody else. And thank you that you supremely value us and it's not conditional. It's not based on what we do or don't do. It's based on who you are and who we are to you. And so, Father, I pray for each person in this room. I pray that they would experience the pleasure of being valued by you, by by being supremely valued by you. I pray for a fresh encounter. I pray for a fresh revelation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, our rescuer, our redeemer, our savior, our Lord. And I pray if there's anything that people need to let go of this morning, if there's anything that people need to confess this morning, if there's anything, if there's anything that they need, I pray that they would come to you and that you would minister to each one of us and that we'd experience freedom. Freedom from disorienting fears, disordered fears. We love you, Jesus. Lead us, we pray. Amen. All right, friends, we have about, I don't know, 15 minutes or so. Um, And what we're going to do is we're going to respond to the love of God, to the grace of God, to the the God who's rich in mercy. We're going to praise him. The band's going to lead us, offering praise as priests unto God because he's worthy. Not to get something from him, but just because he's worth it. And then if you find yourself in, like I just, I need in any way, there's trusted men and women who would love to pray for you. You can come forward at any time, okay? And then Herrick will be up to close us in just a bit. Love you guys very much. Enjoy him.